Now I want today just for a little while to uh, look at uh, um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and uh, take the theme uh, of the message uh, that was sung or spoken or said or proclaimed uh, by the angels that's given to us in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Thanks, John. And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And I want just to look at that for a little while uh, this morning. Uh, because I'm not sure how much uh, we would uh, understand or think about or the society in which we live, uh, at least in terms of biblical language, would think about uh, this whole idea of giving glory to uh, God. Um, what I want to do just for a few moments is encourage us to think about that. And to think about why we are who we are, <clears throat> what makes us what we are, and why it's a good and a right thing, and indeed is uh, the focus of our lives, is to give glory to God, who is the one who made us, and who, as we know from Scripture, also rescues us, redeems us. It's very difficult for us to do that. Because uh, so much of our life is taken up with what is immediately before our eyes. And I think probably that uh, becomes even more um, intense around this time of year. Uh, We need to make a conscious effort to think about God and who he is. And I think that goes for us as believers, as Christians, just as much uh, in our own lives. Uh, a, A secular world... And uh, the secularity of the world in which we live, I think that's probably a made-up word, um, is uh, something that uh, makes it difficult for us to think about God. Because uh, we've seen recently, we've talked recently about keeping our eyes on things that are eternal rather than the things that are temporary. And that's difficult for us to do because everything screams at us to keep our eyes on the things that are temporary. Like today, and how we'll get through today, and what today's about, and what uh, today's tweet is, and what today's thinking is, and what people are, are, are envisaging, and what's in their minds, and what's capturing our imagination. So it's very difficult sometimes for us to move beyond that uh, into the spiritual. And yet we recognize that um, we see by faith of the things that are eternal, and therefore we need God uh, we, we need God to see God. Okay. Oh, sorry. Was that me that blew up or was it my microphone? Is that, am I still working? Okay. Sorry, that's quite good. Okay, if I do that every so often, I'll know that you're awake. Um, but I just want then to, sing, uh, to think about a couple of things that I'm not going to sing. To think about a couple of things. I'm going to think about the glory of God. And I'm also going to think about, just for a moment, the glory of worship. Um, the glory of God is, is spoken of here. I mean, we know these, this passage very well, um, and it's often read at this time of year. And we've got this amazing um, declaration of the birth of Jesus. You know, every birth, uh, I'm not going to say much about the birth of Jesus because I'll say a little bit about it at the communion service, uh, at the um, carol service to the children next week. But it's a unique birth in many ways, um, uh, not least uh, 
it's a unique birth in every way, but it's a unique in the sense that uh, this declaration comes with it from heaven, from outside of the situation. And it comes with this great host, this great company of the heavenly host, the armies of God, the angels, um, appearing with this uh, uh, angel of the Lord uh, who comes uh, in this terrifying and yet glorious way and says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. I wonder what we think of that concept of glory. Uh, do we understand it? Is that a kind of biblical thing? I know we use it just generally, but um, it seems to be quite a religious word and kind of a word that we use in church. Maybe we take it for granted. What does it mean, uh, the glory that we would aspire to give? Well, I think it kind of just means the praise and the worship, the adoration we give because of the importance of the person to whom uh, we are focusing our attention. Uh, we can do it on a human level. We can give glory to people who we believe are worthy of, of that glory, as it were. Someone who has won a prize, someone who has won an Olympic gold. Uh, uh, the glory that it is, the adulation, the praise, that's really what it is. You would give glory to someone who has done something significant. Many people over this week have been reflecting on the life of Nelson Mandela. Now, there's all, all kinds of different opinions about him and different opinions uh, about his greatness. But the, the, from a human point of view, there's this great recognition uh, of what he achieved, what he managed to achieve. And many from within South Africa, white and black, will give credit to him for that. So there's a sense in which many people have uh, been giving him uh, a sense of glory uh, for what he's achieved. Now, he's, he's, he's a fallen human being like everyone else. But from a human point of view, he was able to suffer much. He was able to uh, cope with a great deal. He had a, uh, an amazing intellect, uh, a phenomenal capacity to forgive his captors. And a willingness to not seek revenge when he came into power. And so there was a sense in which people have given him adulation for that. But this is a different level. All of these things are reflections of what we have been created to do and what our life is about, which is to give glory to God for who he is. We've been, you know, if, if you're living your life without any reference to God, then you're missing out. It is part of the problem of sin, isn't it? Is that we miss out on this absolutely central part of our life, which is to recognize uh, the attributes, the character, the person, the beauty, the stunning nature of God, and worship and glorify Him for His being, for who He is. Glory to God in the highest Glory um, in his person. Just glory to God. We, we don't need actually anything more than that. Simply to see and know as the Bible unfolds the nature and the character of God uh, which is <laughs> worthy of our praise and our worship. Now, it, I know that's difficult for us. I know that's difficult for us. Because we can't see him, as it were, right in front of us. Probably the reason we can't see him is because it would just be far too remarkable for us to cope with. Far too much for our mortal beings uh, to cope with. But there's this great sense uh, in which 
even in a small way, you know, we're told in verse 8 and 9 there that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Even almost as it were like the reflection, the shadow, if you can talk about the shadow of someone's light or the shadow of his glory, was so great um, that it terrified those who were around them. You know, they didn't kind of skip along. Woohoo, there's God, isn't he lovely? He's nice, got a long beard, nice friend. It wasn't like that. There was this terror and this a recognition that he was an absolutely awesome being and an incredible being. In Revelation, it speaks in the future about uh, the new heavens and the new earth being a place uh, that doesn't need a battery and doesn't need an electric source and doesn't need even the sun, the city, doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine it for the glory of God gives it light and, it's, and the, lamp, the lamb is its lamp. So there's this whole picture of a God who is self-sustaining in his being and who creates around him this great sense of light and life and beauty. Um, There's a purity uh, about God that we simply can't understand, a righteousness, a holiness, a creative genius, a size, a magnitude um, that we just can't contain that would blow our minds, a reputation, for outstanding love, but also for outstanding purity and holiness that uh, leaves us uncomfortable. That is truly awesome. We use that word a lot today, don't we? People use it a lot. Wow, that was awesome. But we don't really understand the meaning of that word because it is an awe-inspiring word. And uh, the glory of God is such that it ought to, and often doesn't, I appreciate, but ought to in many ways leave us awestruck because of who he is. All light, as it were. You know, there's, there's various evidences of, of, of the, the glory of God being a, a light that comes from him. Um, whatever, however, or whatever that in, in, indeed means. We see it in the transfiguration, even with Jesus, where it's as if... It, his glory is beginning to be revealed and his light and, and, and life and all that comes from it. And so there's a sense in which we have a picture of God who is light and life. The source of everything else is derived. All is derived. And that is hugely significant and important. That in himself he is worthy of our worship. So if he didn't send Jesus, if we didn't have Jesus, if we didn't have the Bible... He would still be worthy of our worship. He is glorious and worthy in ourselves. And the great catastrophic problem of our lives is that we don't worship him. Is that we worship created things rather than the creator. So we glorify, I know it's using Bible kind of language, but we glorify created things rather than the creator. So we spend our lives adoring and focusing on and thinking about things we can see and feel and touch. And the transient that are there. Because that's what sin has done for us. It's, It's turned us against who God is and it's blinded us to who he is. And we worship. We still worship. We still glorify. But it's not God. In fact, we go the opposite way. We hate him very often. We reject him. We turn against him. So he's glorious in his, his own presence. But he's also, and we thank God for this, um, he's glorious through his message. Glory to God 
in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. This great revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus, this child who is born in a manger, the birth of the God child, the Messiah, who in, in many ways gives up his glory, gives up his right to worship, gives up his right to be recognized as one who is worshipped because he becomes a human being and he's born into anonymity and he's actually born into immediate opposition from the day he's born there's a there's a relentless drive to have him expunged get rid of him and so he's born in anonymity and he he hides his glory um And yet we see in the gospel accounts that that even spills through. It spills through in his obedience to the Father. It spills through in his understanding of his calling. It spills through in his being able to turn water into wine so that the disciples would put their trust in him because they'd seen his glory for who he was. Imagine that. The first thing that he did, turned water into wine. Is that what we would have chosen? To reveal his glory? (coughs) That's what he chose. His ability to raise the dead. His ability to uh, calm the waves. His remarkable teaching. His message that was relentlessly focused on the religious hypocrites and bigots. And not on a lost and broken and bruised world. Who ate with publicans and sinners. Who spent time with prostitutes. Because he wanted them. Because he knew that they sensed their feeling of loss. And their feeling of sin and their feeling of rejection. And he wanted them to know his love and his forgiveness and his salvation and his rescue. And was able to offer them and is also able to offer us this great message of peace. This great message of peace that he gives. And it's such a significant reality for us that that is the gospel message. It's a message that we receive light the same as him, and life. Spiritual light and life. We receive that from him because of what he's come to do. He has come, he receives and takes our sins. Dies for them on the cross. We receive his glory, as it were. The glory of his life and his light. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And that's part of what it is to be a Christian, is to begin to see God, begin to see his light, and begin to see his life, and be able to worship him, because he has dealt with and has de- dealt with our sins on the cross, and is dealing with our sins on a day-to-day basis. And that enables us to have a peace that is a glorious peace that is mentioned here. Now, a lot of, a lot is spoken of peace. It's not, it's not uh, uh, inter... Um, national, international peace. It's not between nations that's spoken of here. It's not even primarily between individuals. The peace that's spoken of, which is maybe maybe misunderstood at this time of year, peace on earth and, and goodwill to all men and that kind of nice kind of Christmassy, you know, mulled wine kind of sentiment. However, nice though it is, significant though it is, It's a much more significant peace than that. It's the peace that comes between ourselves and God because Jesus Christ bridges the gap. And it's the peace that, you know, it's a peace 
um, that Philippians talks about that passes understanding. In other words, it's beyond just simply human peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. And that, that verse that's spoken of in Philippians, it's very much in the context of um, uh, recognizing uh, one another and uh, uh, recognizing that in trouble and in difficulty, there can still be a peace. In other words, it's a peace that you don't... Um, you wouldn't say something plus something equals peace. You know, good job, good family life equals peace. It's not that kind of human formula of peace, formulaic peace, however significant that may be. It's a peace that's beyond and passes understanding because it's a peace in the midst sometimes of the most trying and difficult circumstances. Because it's a peace that says it doesn't matter what hurricane is happening around me because I know in my heart I'm at peace with God and if I die tonight I will go to be with him and live with him in him because my sins have been dealt with. It's the dispeace that causes the problems in this world. It's the di- it, primarily it's the dispeace of sin and our broken relationship with God that causes the problems. And it's his peace that deals with dispeace and gives us true peace. And uh, that is what we recognize and know. It's a great message, this message of peace. It comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of his own life. It comes at the cost of the excruciating cost of Jesus Christ coming and leaving the glories of heaven and emptying himself and dying on a cross and being misunderstood and facing the powers of darkness and sin in the grave and on the third day being raised again, not for himself, but because of us, because he's dying in our place. And that's a message that is a glorious message and one that enables us to worship. So if we are Christians today, we worship because our heart has been changed. As we can see light and life from God in a way that we could never see before because we've come by faith to trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can glorify God, albeit in a rubbish way sometimes, don't we? We're really rubbish sometimes at the way we glorify God. We do it in a very often in a really self-centered way and sometimes in a self-righteous and arrogant way. Uh, sometimes we just don't do it at all. We don't give him the rightful place. We can be rubbish at giving him glory, even though he's given it all to us and what he has done for us. But it's uh, an amazing message, a message that is exclusive. It's a peace that's exclusive to those on whom his favor rests. That is those who will come to faith in him. Those who will put their faith and trust in him. And that's a great cry. And that's a great challenge. And that's a great call of the gospel. But it's also a great message in the way, in the ironic way it was given. Or in the ironic way uh, to whom it was given. It was given to the shepherds. It's great that. We don't really understand in the culture in which we live. Um, and I'm not going to make parallels because I've tried to make parallels before and just got into trouble. Uh, but the shepherds were kind of non-class of people. Well, maybe, maybe I could use this in a very relevant um, example this week in terms of pre-apartheid uh, or, uh, yeah, well, apartheid South Africa when the, the, the blacks were, not, were non-persons. You know, they, they weren't given the vote. They didn't have any rights we're known people in many ways in, in the eyes of the governing classes. And uh, 
in a similar way, the shepherds were a bit like that. And they weren't, they weren't high and mighty and good and important part of the community like shepherds are in Scotland. Um, because my brother-in-law is one. But uh, in the uh, Middle East, they were, they, they were a, an underclass, you know. Uh, they, I don't know. I don't suppose they had to vote if there was such a thing in, in that society that way. Um, and uh, at the risk of uh, uh, alienating people here as well, uh, they were, it was like the women. Women didn't have that position in that society. And isn't it interesting that at the very beginning of the gospel that Jesus declares this amazing good news to the shepherds who are non-people. And uh, the first people to see Jesus Christ resurrected, the witnesses to the resurrection, were women. Neither group of whom would have stood, uh, their word would have stood in a court of law. And yet the glory of God is revealed uh, because he is putting right these wrongs. And he is recognizing uh, who is important to him. And it's a great encouragement because the church is made up of non-people, isn't it? Generally speaking. People that are not that significant and important in the wider world. We don't, many of us have a voice. Not many rich, not many famous, not many influential people uh, end up in the kingdom of God. And yet God reveals his truth to us and we're uh, ecstatic about that reality. And it is to ordinary people the gospel goes ordinary people we are ordinary people there's nothing special about us and we don't need to be special to be loved by God we need simply to receive this message and receive this good news and uh, know his peace in our lives so the glory of God just very briefly can I mention the glory of worship as well Um, worship is an amazing thing Sometimes it's not in our experience in terms of our worship of God, our public worship particularly I'm speaking about maybe, but also our our private worship. But here's this picture of a kind of amazing, glorious event where this great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel of the Lord praising God. It's an an amazing picture. It's a beautiful picture. This this innocent... uh, almost at some levels anonymous birth is paralleled with the most remarkable declaration from beyond this world it's a great you know if you've ever been in a really big crowd you'll know what it's what this is kind of pointing towards the amazement of that crowd you know uh, Daniel 7 speaks about a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. And then Hebrews 12, but you know, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And there's this picture of, of just magnitude that is kind of reflecting the glory of God and the significance and the importance of him. Um... And that's good, and that's important when you see that, because it reminds us of his significance and of the angelic beings. Um, I don't know if any of you have been watching uh, on a Saturday night the series that's on Channel 5 called, it's not actually, it's a mini-series called The Bible. Um, It's a kind of production. Uh, The Bible story in four sections. So again, you're missing out a great deal. But the one, for me, the one really disappointing thing, it's not bad, I mean, it's not that, it's pretty accurate. Most of the time, but sometimes it's a bit, some of the accents are a bit naff. 
And uh, what really disappoints me about it, though, is that, um, you know, they're obviously working on a, a limited budget. So you've only ever got about 25 people on scene, you know. And you, you miss the magnitude of, you know, the, the nearly a million uh, Israelites that left Egypt across the uh, Red Sea, and you've got a kind of a few hundred kind of going about. And it's not quite the same. You lose the magnitude, you lose the bigness, you lose the importance of it. I'm sure they could have computer generated it. If you can do it for Lord of the Rings, why can't you do it for them? But maybe it costs more, I don't know. But it just seems a wee bit kind of naff. Just to have that. But it doesn't really, it doesn't convey the picture uh, that we have in the Bible. And, and, and I, in many ways, I would love to see a computer-generated picture of this. Because I think we can do great things with our imagination and with our minds and our creativity. But whatever we would do, it would never, it would never match the glory of uh, the worship uh, and the sound and the noise and the thunder of the heavenly host. Now, I've had the privilege a couple of times of going to uh, Niagara Falls and as you become, as you come towards it, you just begin to hear the thunder of the water. And you almost feel it's a bit like that. As people must have been walking near. You would hear this great thunderous sound of this heavenly host. The heavens are open and they're worshipping God. His angels are uh, morally perfect beings, intelligent, proactive, um, glorifying God, worshipping him, amazed probably dumbfounded by what he's going to do. But we know that they are part of this heavenly host that worship him. And I do think it's a reminder to us, again, of uh, the unseen world that's very real, uh, according to scripture, um, but one that we often forget. We, we lose sight of. Uh, we're, we're taken up so much with the tangible, again, with the uh, the fallibility, or increasingly today, uh, it's uh, regarded as the infallibility of science uh, with touch and with sight. We forget that faith is a spiritual gift, and we sometimes forget that we have this uh, great, significant, important role as Christians to fix our eyes on what is unseen. That means you need to work at that, and I need to work at that. Uh, not looking beyond these another year end, looking beyond flesh and blood, recognizing that it is a gift of grace, a gift of faith, that we need God and we need Christ to see Christ. And many people will come and say to me, well, I would love to believe, but I can't believe. I'd love to believe this message, but I simply can't believe. It does, it's not believable to me. Even if I, I do want to, but I just can't believe. Absolutely. We're all in that position. None of us can believe naturally just by working up a sense of belief. It's a gift of God. To ask him for the faith. To believe in this message and to see the things that are unseen and to worship him and to be forgiven. But it should, I hope, the glory of this event remind us uh, of our own worship and uh, of um, enriching our worship. I think sometimes... um, a Sunday is interesting in St. Columbus. Sunday morning, sometimes, uh, the worship, the praise, the kind of warmth, is sometimes missing a little bit. You know, it's just we get up, we haven't been together, we haven't sort of thought about things. Very often it's, it's different at night. We've spent the day together, we've eaten together, we've thought, you know, been in fellowship with one another, a bit more awake maybe <laughs> at night. 
but I think it's good for us, even before we come to church, to, to be enriched by the recognition that we're not on our own when we worship, that uh, it is a spiritual a reflection of a spiritual worship that is already happening in heaven, that we are part of a great number of people who are worshipping, and that the God who we worship is awake at 11 o'clock. You know, that he wants to hear our corporate worship together. He wants us to be prepared in heart. He wants us to be prayerful. And he wants us to recognize that he is worthy through Jesus Christ, through what Jesus has done, and that we don't come half-heartedly. And, and that doesn't really just mean the service. It just means our lives, because Romans 12 speaks about our whole lives being living sacrifices. So he wants our life to be a worshipful life because he is worthy. And so there's an enormous need for us to pray, to ask for God's help, be prayerful people as Christians. And if you're not a Christian too, I would also encourage you to pray and ask for God to open your eyes to see things in the way that he's opened our eyes because none of us see naturally. Um, and pray, come together to pray. I can encourage you again on Wednesday evening, the elders are training. Please come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'm going to focus, maybe Murdo's going to lead it, and we're going to uh, focus on prayer, particularly for the evangelistic service, carol service on Sunday evening. Um, so please pray, and keep on praying in your Christian life. And so I guess the ultimate question is whether uh, you can claim to experience the glory of, of God in your life through Jesus Christ and share in that light and life that he gives and uh, ask you to consider the significance of that. Um, and uh, as a Christian, that we would uh, see that he is worthy. And the reason that we obey him is not to, pull, not to uh, earn favor with him, but because he's good, and because he's worthy, and because he has done everything in order to give us light and life. So glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's bow our heads briefly in prayer uh, before we sing together. Lord God, help us to uh, glorify you in our lives and uh, to understand what that means. Sometimes we make it a kind of religious word that we maybe think is um, uh, irrelevant to our day-to-day living. It's a kind of religious act. But we know that, Lord, uh, to glorify something is simply to, in, in many ways, give it the preeminence that it has in our heart and uh, value and significance, whether it be our own life, our own uh, uh, career, our own family, or uh, whatever it may be. Uh, that which we love is that which we glorify. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that you are worthy of our worship our praise, uh, of our rightful uh, adoration. Give us eyes to see and faith to believe and to rise above uh, the transient and passing concerns that sometimes just absorb us completely. Bless us as a people. Uh, Remember those whom we love. Help us to love you and love one another in such a way that is winsome, and uh, respectful and gracious and humble and yet honest and true 
and guide and keep us, we pray. Bless our praise. We often associate worship simply with singing. Um, We know it's a hugely significant part. And may we sing just with all our hearts, from our hearts. But may we also rise from here and worship you with our lives and with our obedience and uh, with grace. For Jesus' sake, amen.